Welcome back to the Foul Balls podcast for NFL Week 4. And uh, then tomorrow we have baseball, and that's actually going to be the last baseball podcast of the season with the regular season ending on Sunday. So for NFL Week 4, I think this is a decent week. There's less games on the slate than usual because there's the early Sunday game, which isn't on the slate. DraftKings took the Sunday night game off the slate, which I know a lot of people were not happy with on the Twitterverse, but I mean, I don't mind it. I just think there's already enough games on the football slate, so it doesn't bother me that there's only 12 games as opposed to 13 or 15 or 14. Like, I think 12 games is plenty. And then the slate's over sooner. If there's going to be injury information for the late Sunday game, we don't have to worry about that. So come Sunday morning, we just know the guys who are going to be playing. Like, to me, it's generally annoying to have to set lineups that include a Sunday night game where we're not going to know until right before the game starts whether those guys are playing or not. So it's fine. I'm, I'm actually kind of in favor of it not existing, even though I think that's a minority opinion. It was a minority opinion that I had also when the Monday night game got taken off the main slate. And that's obviously a way more ridiculous version of what I said before, where there's definitely going to be injuries on Monday where you have no clue on Sunday. So just getting into what these games are the first game on the slate is the jacksonville jaguars at the new york jets the jets probably not as bad as everybody thinks because they won 20 to nothing last week everybody on twitter thought they were going to go 0 and 16 this year they're 1 and 2 so that's not the case they're probably not going to go 1 and 15 either matt what is the line for this game and is there any sharp action on it yeah this game actually does have a decent amount of sharp action the line for the game is well the jets are down to only plus three, the line opened at three and a half. And the public likes the Jaguars. Obviously, they just saw the Jaguars destroy the Ravens, and that seems to be overriding what everyone saw with the Jets beating the Dolphins. So the public def- the public is on the Jaguars here. Not much love for the Jets, and the line is still moving in the Jets' favor. I think it's a good spot for the Jets in terms of the betting line. As far as who's going to win the game, I think it's pr- it probably should be pretty close to pick them based on what the Sharps are seeing and the fact that the line from three and a half is dropping even lower. I think we could see it get down to one and a half or two before this game. So yeah, that's where I'll leave it. The Sharps like the Jets and there's a little bit of a move to the under, but I think that's just public bias with two bad teams that are bad at offense. Yeah. So with that said, I don't think there's a ton of DFS interest on either of these teams. Just they're bad offenses. The defenses are Jacksonville is a pretty good defense. Let's see. So football outsiders has, the Jaguars, as I'm pretty sure they're pretty, yeah, they're the fourth ranked defense for the season, and the Jets are the 22nd ranked defense uh, adjusted. So the Jets slightly below average, but they are at home. Jaguars are really good defense. So I don't really think that there's a ton of reason to roster a lot of guys in this game. I do think that the Jets' defense, just because they're one of the cheapest defenses on the slate at 2600 make a little bit of sense. If you really want to pay up for the Jaguars, I don't think it's an awful play at 3600 but that's that's probably a little overpriced. There's not a lot of value there. I'd rather, I'd rather use the cheaper Jets' defense. And then for the Jets, Matt Forte is doubtful and looks like he won't play. So Bilal Powell is really cheap. He is... Was it 4,600? He's a pass-catching back, so that always benefits in PPR. He's going to get a point for each catch he has. So at 4,600, I think there's a little bit of value in his price, but not something I'm going to go crazy with. Maybe you put him in like one or two lineups in like the flex spot or whatever if you just have salary left for his position. 
So he makes a little bit of sense. Nobody else would have really of interest in this game. It should be pretty low scoring. So next game on the slate is the Buffalo Bills at the Atlanta Falcons. What is the line, and is there any sharp action for this one, Matt? The Falcons are minus 8. The line is held pretty steady at minus 8. Doesn't look like we're seeing any sharp action, but the public is very heavy Atlanta. And more appropriately, I think public is very anti-Bills offense. The over-under bets are split pretty much 50-50, and most of the spread and money line bets are on Atlanta. The totals dropped a little bit. So I think you're seeing a bias against the Bills offense maybe, but for the most part, there's nothing really going on here. So one thing that I think is kind of an interesting trend with the Falcons is the last couple of years, their offense has really been more of a split snaps and split touches situation between Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman, but it has leaned a little bit towards Freeman. But what happened in the offseason was Freeman's contract was up, and the Falcons actually signed him to be the highest paid running back in the history of the league. And now the last two weeks, Freeman's played about 75% of the snaps for the Falcons. And I don't think those two things are coincidence. I think the Falcons made a very large financial investment in Devontae Freeman. And I think that now there's just more reason for them to really be committed to him being their number one back, for him to get more playing time, for him to get more touches. Uh, he's getting all the red zone uh, playing time now. He scored a touchdown, at least one touchdown in each of the first three weeks. So he's a bit priced up at 7300 But with that said, that's still only the fifth most expensive running back on the slate. The Falcons are touchdown favorites in this game, so the game flow sets up for them to be running the ball out a lot towards the end of the game. Given that the offense is becoming more Devontae Freeman dependent than Tevin Coleman dependent, and that's looking more like a 75-25 split in favor of Freeman, I think that he's the guy to look for in this game, uh, is my favorite target in this game. I'm going to be looking at the Falcons' run game more than the pass game because this is probably not going to be a super close game that's going to be going back and forth. I think this is going to be more a game where the Falcons have a late lead and they're running out the clock. So I'm off the Bills. I have a little bit of interest in the Falcons passing game, but a lot more interest in the running game. And Devontae Freeman is going to be my favorite running back to pay up for this week. Fair enough. Yeah, I agree with you on Freeman. And sometimes I'll disagree with you when you say that the spread being high means the game is likely to be a blowout. Although you didn't really say that this time, but I don't disagree here. I think that the Sharps aren't on the Bills. There's no reason to think that that spread of eight points is that much higher than it should be. Maybe it's a point high, but maybe it's not even. The Falcons should win fairly comfortably, and that does mean more touches for Freeman, so I'm with you there. Yeah, the other thing also is Marcel Darius missed the Bills game last week, and he's his status is still up in the air for, for this weekend. He's the Bills' best run stopper, so them not having him, that's a pretty big downgrade to their uh, to their run defense. So the next game on the slate is Pittsburgh at Baltimore. Baltimore coming off a game where they just got destroyed, absolutely destroyed by what we call the shitty Jaguars offense not too long ago. Foul, uh, the Ravens still number one ranked defense by Football Outsiders in their DVOA. So what is the Vegas line for this game, Matt? The Ravens are, let's see, I just lost it. Um the Ravens opened as two-point underdogs. Now they're up to three-point underdogs. There's a pretty clear bias on the Steelers, and I guess this is largely because of how bad the Ravens look this week. The Steelers haven't been that great this year. They've kind of played two expectations. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like the Steelers have 
been playing around a top five level, and that's kind of where they were supposed to be. Nothing exceptional. They beat up on some pretty bad teams, but uh, that might be getting them overvalued a little bit just because they've had an easy schedule so far. And the Ravens have had a fairly easy schedule too, but the game that the public remembers the most is always the most recent one, or at least almost always the most recent one. And that seems to be inflating the line towards Pittsburgh a little bit. The one thing that is very clear here, though, is that the public loves the under. 71% of the total bets so far are on the under. The total has dropped from 45 to 42, although I think it actually hit 41, and then maybe some sharp money bumped it back up from 41 to 42 a couple days ago. So this might be a situation where the game should be a little higher scoring than most people think, and this is just you know classic division division rivalry game, low scoring narrative, that sort of thing, and it might be a little bit overblown. Yeah, I think it could be a little bit overblown, but with that said, Le'Veon Bell is the most expensive running back on the slate. Antonio Brown is the most expensive wide receiver on the slate. And there is no doubt that this is a road matchup, which is a big downgrade for the Steelers. Ben Roethlisberger has always had big home road splits throughout his career. And then in addition to that, this should still be a low-scoring game, even if it's not quite as low-scoring as the public thinks it to be. So for that reason, due to the prices on the Steelers, I don't really think any of them are great plays. I think that Le'Veon Bell is a better play than the passing game. But I don't really think there's a need to go all the way up to him at 8,700. So I'd say maybe... Le'Veon Bell ends up in a couple lineups of mine. I'm definitely not going to be on the Steelers passing game, but I don't I don't really have a lot of interest in the Steelers offense. And then likewise for the for the Ravens offense, it's it's not a great offense. The Steelers just do have a pretty solid defense. The running backs, um, I'm trying to figure out if there's any information on. I think Terrence West is he he played last week. Only played. Uh, He only got six carries. He's playing through a calf injury. So I think that we're going to see more of him and uh, Buck Allen splitting carries. Allen is at 4,700 west of 4,100. So just not a lot of interest in me from this game, really on either side, just because of the expected low point output. And then just the huge price on the Steelers is just a little bit too much for me to pay up for. Do you think that makes sense, Matt? Yeah, I think that the takeaway as far as the Vegas line, sort of what I meant to allude to was that I wouldn't use the Steelers' defense as much as maybe people think you should. I think that might be the go-to pick after how bad Flacco was, how bad the Ravens' offense was, and it looks like a really good spot for the Steelers' defense against the Ravens' offense. So I would just caution against using them as your number one defense because the line movement from Vegas kind of kind of shows that the Ravens' offense might do a little bit better than expected, although not good enough to use any of their players for your own lineup. Just uh, I think it's a fade for Pittsburgh's defense. Yeah, I mean, if if I had to use somebody from either the Steelers' defense or the Ravens' offense, I think Buck Allen would be my preferred play over the Steelers' defense. But with that said, I still think there's other cheap running backs who I like more than him. So the next game on the slate is the Los Angeles Rams, a team headed by Todd Gurley, the man of... Uh, inefficient carries that lead to a lot of touchdowns hmm. against uh, an America favorite team, the Dallas Cowboys. So Matt, what is the spread in action for this game? This game's a little confusing. So the public is kind of on the Rams, pretty much split, but kind of on the Rams. And we're seeing a lot of line movement towards the Rams. So the Cowboys opened as seven and a half point favorites. The line is now down to six. The total opened at 46 and 
It looks like a combination of the public and the sharps have bet this total up from 46 to 47 and a half. The indicators seem to be on the Rams, although I don't think it's that contrarian. I think that the line was kind of just mispriced to begin with. So this could mean that we're looking at potentially more offense from the Rams than most people think. Although I'm not really I'm not really sure what public sentiment for this game is, but I do think that it's a decent spot for the Rams offense and it probably should be a reasonably close game. Um, I, for DFS implications, I would think that Ezekiel Elliott is probably the most popular player from this game. Maybe Todd Gurley, but the two running backs look to be in decent spots. Although I guess what I'm getting at is that it might be more of a pass-heavy game than most people realize because of the big-name running backs that we're talking about. Yeah, so Gurley is really involved in all facets of the Rams' offense. He's... He's getting the most touches by far. He's the only running back they're using in the backfield. They're using him in the passing game more this year. With that said, he's all the way up at 7,800 now, and he still just hasn't been that good. He he gets a lot of touches, so he is scoring a lot of fantasy points, and he's scoring a lot of touchdowns, so that's nice. I mean, he scored three touchdowns in week three. He scored two touchdowns in week two. He scored one touchdown in week one. I don't think that means he's going to score four touchdowns in week four. I don't think he's going to score eight touchdowns in week eight. Uh, That would be totally crazy but to me this is just too high of a price to pay for Gurley at 7800 you're really relying on him getting those touchdowns because he's been so inefficient carrying the ball I mean if you look at week one he had 19 carries for 40 yards week two he had 16 carries for 88 yards which is not too bad and then last week 28 carries for 113 yards which is really inefficient it's just a lot of touches so that is all definitely good stuff to be able to have somebody for that many touches but to me it's it's more usable to have Gurley at like so we really liked him in week one when he was all the way down at 6,000 now his price has gone all the way up and for a road matchup where the Rams are underdogs still I'm not comfortable paying that uh, big of a price for him and then same thing with Ezekiel Elliott 8,200 I think the Rams defense is gonna overall be decent this year Aaron Donald has been banged up and hasn't gotten to play a lot, but he's going to be uh, back in full action going forward now. That's a huge boost to the Rams' run defense. In addition, also pro football folks in the out in uh, in the uh, in the off season had the Cowboys' offensive line as the least improved, or I guess the the team that the offensive line that got the worst in the off season of any other team. One of the reasons that Ezekiel Elliott was so good in his rookie season, one of the reasons that Dak Prescott was so good in his rookie season was because the Cowboys' offensive line was just so good and was so much better than any other offensive line league. That's not the case this year. That's a huge downgrade. So I don't really think this is a great spot for the Cowboys' offense either. So I guess the contrarian potential contrarian pick is to go with the Rams' passing game. Is there anything to like there? Because I think most people who use the Rams will be defaulting to Todd Gurley. So uh, Jared Goff is definitely cheap, and he's been decent. The only thing that I say we have to kind of wait on is that I think Jared Goff to Sammy Watkins makes some sense as a contrarian GPP option, but Sammy Watkins is in the concussion protocol right now. So if he's able to play, that really benefits Jared Goff. If he's, and also I think that is just a good correlation, but if he's not able to play, I don't think there's enough value to the other guys to really make me love any of the other plays. And then it's also a downgrade enough to Jared Goff that would have me off him. So with that said, I think we kind of have to wait to see what the status is on Sammy Watkins and then see who's starting his place and what that situation is going to look like come Sunday. 
Fair enough. So if Watkins plays, I think Goff to Watkins, we both agree, is a at least a decent GPP flyer, if not better than that. Yeah, and then if he doesn't play, maybe Cooper Cup is like a decent value play, but I, I don't I don't know if I'd really get behind that. I think uh yeah, I, th- I think just what you said is uh Goff to Watkins makes sense as a GPP combo, obviously if Watkins could play. So the next game on the slate, as I bring it up and my iPad's being slow, we have the Tennessee Titans at the Houston Texans. What is the Vegas info for this one, Matt? There's really not much info. This is one of those messy games where we could have sharp action on both sides. The line's been kind of teetering around these non-key numbers. So the, the spread is below three. And when the spread's below three, it kind of just moves a lot because the difference between a one-point spread, a one-and-a-half, two, two-and-a-half, it's kind of insignificant because very few football games end by less than three-point margins. So it's really hard to gather what's going on based on the line movement. And the public is really split here, too. So I really don't know. Uh, The total has dropped from 44 to 43-and-a-half with a few more bets on the over than the under, so it's a little bit of a reverse line move. But I really don't have much to weigh in on here. I think that we'll need to wait until later in the week to see more of what's going on as far as the line movement because it's just it's just a messy game right now. Yeah, so last week the Texans scored a ton of points against the Patriots. I don't think that they're going to be like ridiculously popular or anything like this week, but I do think there's going to be some people that want to roster the Houston passing game just because of how well they did last week. And then in addition to that, the Tennessee Titans defense this year uh, ranked by Football Outsiders is the 29th-ranked defense coming into uh, this week's game, 24th against the pass, 18th against the run, so not a good defense. With that said, the place where I think makes a lot of sense to roster on the Texans' offense is with people kind of going to look a little bit at the Deshaun Watson and uh, DeAndre Hopkins combination. I think Lamar Miller priced all the way down at 4500 I think this is a good spot for him. His touches haven't been quite as high this year as they were in previous years, but still 14 carries in week one, 18 in week two, 17 in week three. They also lost two of those three games and were never playing with the lead. So if they do happen to get the lead in this game, I think we could really see a heavier workload for Lamar Miller. Him all the way down to 4,500. He's really one of my favorite cheap plays on the slate as of now. So I think that's the way to go for this game in terms of the Tennessee offense Houston's defense this year uh, ranked 12th by football outsiders coming into this week and I think it's an it's a defense with potential for upside they have a lot of uh, just really good players on the defense Davian Clowney JJ Watt and a lot of these guys weren't healthy last year so I think that kind of skews the numbers looking back to last year a little bit and I, I really think that this could be a potential top 10 top five maybe even defense for the entire season so I'm off the Tennessee offense and I like I like uh, I like Lamar Miller in this game I think that definitely makes sense because I saw at least one article from Roto Grinders talking about Deshaun Watson as a as a value play quarterback this week and if there's one article from Roto Grinders it leads me to believe that there will be more articles from other sites who read that one and maybe it's just a common theme that Deshaun Watson after playing so well against the Patriots is underpriced and a really good value play. But given that football is just such a random sport, and all sports are random, but especially football for fantasy where we don't know how the touchdowns will be distributed, 
I think a lot more people will be on Watson than Lamar Miller. And I think what you're saying makes sense, even in terms of sheer value, but also in terms of ownership. Watson should be a lot more popular than Lamar Miller is. So we have an interesting game to talk about next. It's the Carolina Panthers at the New England Patriots. Per uh, Football Outsiders, the Patriots defense has been historically bad through the first three weeks of the season. It has been, uh, what was this, Aaron Schatz uh, tweeted out earlier. I think it's been one of the five worst pass defenses ever recorded through the first three games of the season by Football Outsiders. So we're obviously dealing with a small sample size, but they've been really bad so far. So with that information and how bad Cam Newton has also been to start the year, what is the spread in the total for this game, Matt? Well, the bias is going towards New England, although the public likes the over, too. So the line opened at minus 8. It's up to minus 9 for New England with just about every single person in the world betting the Patriots. The total opened 47. Now it's 48.5 with 74% of the bets on the over. It's clear that... The public expects the Patriots to score a lot of points. They've scored a lot of points in all of their games. But I don't think the public is looking at this from the Carolina perspective that much. Well, based on the line movement, the Patriots' implied point total has gone up. The Panthers' point total has remained the same. And this actually might be, I mean, I don't, I'm not sure how you feel about this, but I think this might be my favorite contrarian spot of the week because no one is rostering Cam Newton this week. He's been so awful this year, but the Patriots will probably be playing with a lead. Their pass defense has been historically bad, like you said, and it's possible that Cam Newton doesn't suck. I mean, he might he might suck, but if Cam Newton's even close to average, he should have at least a lot of passing opportunities, and it's a, it's a bad pass defense. So I think Cam Newton could have a huge game. What do you what do you think about him as a GPP play or just in general? I think it's tough to pull the trigger, but I do think it makes some sense. A lot of this hinges to me on the availability of of Calvin Benjamin. So Benjamin was somebody who I liked a lot last week because I thought there was going to be a lot of value on him. And, I I mean, he was – Greg Olson was out. He figured to get a lot of targets. And Benjamin had to leave the game in the first quarter with a knee injury. He did have two catches. And it it is kind of hard to say, like, how would that game have gone had Benjamin not gotten hurt? Because as bad as Cam Newton – was last week, and as bad as he's been to start the season, Calvin Benjamin is still one of the top 20 or so wide receivers in the NFL, and for the for the Panthers to lose Calvin Benjamin and Greg Olson in back-to-back weeks during the game, that really screws with your game plan. So I've been thinking a lot about this, and I do think I'm going to have some shares of Cam Newton. I kind, I kind of felt like I was never going to be on him again after last week, but this matchup against the Patriots, I mean, like what you said makes sense in terms of there's going to be a lot of opportunities for garbage time points for Newton. This is a bad defense. This has been pretty much as favorable a matchup as any quarterback could have so far. And then we just have to see what's the status of Benjamin. Because if he can't play, then I'm a little bit lower on Newton because I just wouldn't know who to pair him with. But if he plays, I do think the Newton to Benjamin combination makes sense again this week. And I know people aren't going to like it. They're not going to. They're not going to want to use it, which makes sense. From the Patriots side of the game. The one guy who makes sense to me because I just don't understand his price is Rob Gronkowski. Gronk has been great the last two weeks, and his price has gone down since then. So this is the cheapest that Gronkowski's been all season. That doesn't really make a ton of sense to me because of how well he's played. He's finally been healthy. So 
if you're going to stack this game and use like Cam Newton and Calvin Benjamin, I think using Rob Gronkowski makes sense also. The other Patriots receivers, it's just hard to find out between Brandon Cooks and Chris Hogan, Danny Amendola, which guys are going to get the targets. But I'm fairly confident that Rob Gronkowski will be targeted. It's tough to get production from the tight end position. Gronkowski is one of the most reliable places to get production from. This is still an overall favorable matchup for New England. And just Gronkowski's price going from 6900 to 6800 all the way down to 6600 That's just a bit too cheap for me for Gronk. So paying up for tight end, he just makes a lot of sense because he's not even that much more expensive than the other top-tier tight end. He's much better than them. So I have two things to add, and neither are going to have to do with the Patriots because I just think the Patriots are good and it's not as interesting to talk about them. And this Panthers pick just really interests me for some reason. Uh, so one thing to say is that I think – in general, when a team has a week to prepare for an injured player being out, it's a little bit easier than having to deal with that in the middle of a game. I think this applies more to football than any other sport where game planning is such an important part. And it's really hard to quantify, so I'm kind of just throwing this idea out there because I really don't know how much it matters. But if Benjamin doesn't play, I think the production should be better than it was having to deal with him getting hurt in the middle of the game last week because at least they can change up their offense a little bit and put in some different plays or figure out at least what they're trying to do without him and have some time to prepare for that because obviously it's harder to do anything when you aren't prepared. But if Benjamin is out, who are the receivers that are supposed to take over those targets? Here's the issue. The number one receiver would become Devin Funchess. He's really bad. And the other issue is that DraftKings has gotten pretty good at pricing players ahead of injuries. They started doing this about midway point of the basketball season last year so that there would never be a point in time where there's just like a minimum price player who's starting. So Funches is actually already priced, assuming Benjamin doesn't play. So Benjamin's priced at 6000 Funches is priced all the way up at 5300 which I just think is too much to pay for him. So even if Benjamin's out, I don't think Funches is a great play at that price. He's been in the 3000 to 4000 range for most of the season. He was kind of like a min-price player for all of last year. So I think the way that you have to go is you just hope that Benjamin's able to play. And at 6000 I do think he's a decent value. But obviously that is uh, very dependent on not only him being able to play, but him being totally unrestricted, no reports of him being used as a decoy, and just him full go. So I think the Cam Newton to Calvin Benjamin combination makes some sense. And then if Benjamin's not out, it's just really hard to figure out who you'd pair Cam Newton with from those receivers. I think maybe uh, Christian McCaffrey makes some sense because – so this would be a little bit different than obviously the wide receiver angle. But Christian McCaffrey is priced at 6800 But last year, uh, last week he had nine catches for 101 yards. So he was very involved in the passing game after – uh, after Benjamin got hurt, and they weren't even pretending to use uh, Christian McCaffrey as like a pass-catching running back anymore. They just had him lined up at, at wide receiver for a lot of the game. So if Benjamin's out, I, I don't think that Funchess is the play. I think it's a uh, Cam Newton to Christian McCaffrey play that would make some sense, and that's something that I don't think people will use just because people don't like to make the quarterback-running back combination because they do tend to negatively correlate. But with that said, just because Christian McCaffrey is listed as a running back on DraftKings doesn't mean he's actually a running back. That makes plenty of sense. And before you move on to the next game, I'll just give you the stats on Funches for last year. He actually ranked 67th amongst wide receivers in DVOA. So that certainly is really bad. I don't know if he's maybe supposed to be improved this year or whatever, but at the very least, he was definitely bad last season. 
No, I would agree with that. He's also, he's also been bad so far this season. So yep. the next game on the slate is the Cincinnati Bengals, a team who we liked last week and actually kind of came through. They did decently. They played a competitive game against the Packers. Uh, A.J. Green was certainly really good playing against the Cleveland Browns. So what's the info for this one, Matt? The Sharps like the Browns a bit. It's a little early to tell, and the Browns definitely aren't a good team, so I'm not... I'm probably not using this as evidence to pick Browns players all week, but the betting breakdown is pretty interesting in terms of tickets and dollars from Sports Insights. So the line has dropped from three and a half to three. 70% of the spread bets are on the Bengals, but 64% of the spread dollars are on the Browns. And then for the money line, it's 50-50 in terms of tickets, but 95% of the money line dollars are on the Browns. So the big bets are coming on Cleveland Usually an indicator of sharp action, and it's pretty clear to me that the Sharps like the Browns. Yeah, it's hard to figure out who to target from this game for DFS purposes just because it's supposed to be low scoring. Uh, We really liked A.J. Green last week, but here's the issue. This week, A.J. Green is priced all the way up to 8600 because of his good game last week and the production. Given that this game should be fairly low-paced, like last week it was just such a huge pace-up game for the Bengals in terms of just expected points that we were thinking both teams are going to score a lot of points. It's going to be back and forth. They're going to have to throw the ball late. I don't think that's going to be the case in this game. So I do think the A.J. Green to Andy Dalton combination makes a little bit of sense, but not nearly as much as I liked it last week. Dalton still at 5,800 is pretty cheap. It's hard to find another wide receiver to like other than A.J. Green. That's where all the balls are going. The other guy who makes some sense from the Bengals' offense is going to be Joe Mixon. So Mixon also didn't have a great game last week. He scored 13 fantasy points, but he had 18 carries. He was just inefficient with them. He got he got a few targets in the passing game also. Jeremy Hill was one of the worst-ranked running backs in the league by uh, in, uh, in the entire league by Football Outsiders last year, also by Pro Football Focus. Uh, Giovanni Bernard, his role has been lessened this year. I think that has a lot to do with uh, knee injury that he had last year. So Joe Mixon was more involved last week, and I do think that has some relation to the Bengals switching their offensive coordinator. Their offense was also a lot better last week than it had been in previous weeks, so that's more incentive for them to stick with Joe Mixon. So I think Mixon at 5,700 makes some sense at running back. You could use the Dalton to A.J. Green combination a little bit, but I like Isaiah Crowell is questionable with an injury. If he can't play, I think Duke Johnson is a really strong play at, I think it's 4,700 off the top of my head. He is 4,500. So that's that's really cheap for Duke Johnson if he's going to be seeing the Lions, uh, just the Lions share of the snaps in the backfield, which is definitely going to be a case if Crowell can't play. Even if he can't go, I think Duke Johnson still makes some sense just because of how involved he was in the passing game last week. You get those PPR points. So that's where I'm looking at for this game. Do you have anything else to add for it, Matt? Nope, you can move on to the next one. Okay, so the next game, the Detroit Lions at the Minnesota Vikings. What do we have for this one? So we we again don't have a Vegas line for the Vikings before, I guess, yeah, it was a few days when we recorded last week before the game and we didn't have a Vegas line. Then with the uncertainty of quarterback for Minnesota, we don't have one again. Yeah, so this is one there's just a lot up in the air because we don't know what's going to happen in, with Sam Bradford. Uh, well, one thing we did think was that if Bradford didn't play, Case Keenum was going to play and he was going to suck again, and that was not the case. Case Keenum was ridiculous last week. He had a monster game. Stefan Diggs scored a ton of points. 
uh, what was his final line? He'd like 40 fantasy points on DraftKings. It was he had all the fantasy points. He had so many fantasy points that none of my players were able to score points. Mm-hmm. He stole all of them. So Stefan Diggs had eight catches for 173 yards, two touchdowns. Good call. 40 fantasy points. If Case Keenum's out, there's if Case Keenum's starting and Sam Bradford's out, there's no way I expect him to replicate that performance. Even if Bradford does play, I don't really like Stefan Diggs at 7100. That's to me, I think that's too much of a price to pay for Diggs when you have guys like Julio Jones and Odell Beckham Jr. are literally only like 1500 more expensive and just much better plays than Stefan Diggs. I prefer to not play somebody coming off their best career game. So. I think that Dalvin Cook at 6,500 makes a little bit of sense at running back. And then uh, Adam Thielen at 5,800. If you want to use the Vikings passing game, I think Thielen at 5,800 makes more sense than Diggs. I think Diggs will be more popular coming off of last week's monster game. And Thielen's still been solid this year. Nine catches for 157 yards week one, five for 44 in week two, five for 98 last week. But this is all contingent on Sam Bradford playing. If he doesn't play I really think Case Keenum is not a great player uh putting aside what he did last week and then from the Lions uh, side of the game I I'm just not really on them I don't think it's a great offense even though they started the year decently uh I think Eric Ebron makes a little bit of sense as like a punt tight end because he's really cheap Uh, I know that people are probably gonna be off him he was really chalky last week and put up a total dud but that's kind of what Eric Ebron's done for his entire career. He looks really good some games. He looks really bad other games. So I think using him when his price is near its floor, he is, uh, what is he? I think it was 3300 I just want to double-check that. Eric Ebron's price is actually 3100 so even cheaper. Him all the way down at that price as a guy who has bad games and good games very frequently switching them off. I think you want to use a guy like that coming off a bad game when he's going to have suppressed ownership. I think that's the time to get behind Eric Ebron. I think uh, he's one of my favorite cheap tight ends to punt for the week. So he makes some sense, and that's really all the exposure I'm going to have for this game. All right. Yeah, you can go to uh, on the the slate. Is uh, actually I like this game a lot. It is the San Francisco 49ers at the Arizona Cardinals. Larry Fitzgerald deemed washed up by everybody in the football world and comes off of a monster, ridiculous game that doesn't get reflected in his price tag because it's a Monday night game and the prices came before that game started. So what do we have for this one, Matt? This game's interesting. The public actually likes the underdog, which is rare. So there's, it, there is public sentiment against the Cardinals, even after Larry Fitzgerald's big game. I guess the Cardinals lost 28-17. They've looked pretty bad this season. And the public likes the under, too. But we're actually seeing 55% of the bets on the under, but 80% of the total dollars on the over. So there might be some misconceptions about this game. The Cardinals' offense, how effective it can be without David Johnson. They haven't looked great, but... This is a really easy matchup for them, and I think we both like this game a lot for contrarian offense picks. So here's the deal. I, like, I don't think they're going to be that contrarian, but Carson Palmer's only 6,100. The 49ers had one of the worst pass defenses in football, and Palmer just had to throw a ton of passes. So even though he hasn't been great this year from like an efficiency or just a pure statistical standpoint, he threw 48 passes in Week 1, 36 passes in Week 2, 48 passes in Week 3. 
the reality is with that much volume against a bad pass defense, he's just going to put up decent games. And then if you look at the the wide receiver situation, Larry Fitzgerald is only 6,100. Like I said before, he wasn't good the first couple weeks of the season. And then the prices came out for this week prior to his monster game in week three. He showed that he could still be an effective player. He was really good last week. The rest of the Cardinals offense just really banged up. J.J. Nelson played, but he missed some practice and might not have been at full health. Uh, Josh Brown has missed games. And that ended up Fitzgerald last week, 13 catches for 149 yards and a touchdown. At only 6,100, I mean, he's one of my favorite wide receiver plays on the slate. I think Carson Palmer is a fine quarterback play. I mean, I, I just think that's a really strong spot for this week. Was that uh, was that what you were going to think also, Matt? Yeah, definitely. And I guess the one thing I would add is that the Cardinals have been banged up at wide receiver beyond Fitzgerald. So do you think that any of the other guys are in play? Like, I know Fitzgerald is cheap. Usually there's a bigger gap between the clear number one receiver and the rest of the receivers in terms of price. But it seems to me like anyone listed numbers one through three on the depth chart which is kind of unclear because of injuries to John Brown and also J.J. Nelson, who I think played last week but was ineffective due to injury or just ineffective in general. Um, Are you interested in the other Cardinals receivers too, potentially because they're more contrarian than Fitzgerald is? I'm not, just because of the price. Like, J.J. Nelson's at 5,600. John Brown is at 5,100. So they're not really significantly priced down from Fitzgerald, and I just expect Fitzgerald to have so much more production than those guys. So like a couple weeks ago when we really liked J.J. Nelson, he was at 3900 and Larry Fitzgerald was priced right below 7000 So now considering that Fitzgerald is at 6100 and J.J. Nelson is at 5600 like it just makes so much more sense to just play Fitzgerald with Carson Palmer. All right, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, Jerron Brown is the fourth receiver who costs 4000 so maybe if the number two and three guys are injured, he makes some sense, but for the most part, I think I agree with you. Yeah, and then the other one who I think makes a little bit of sense is uh, Andre Ellington all the way down to 3800 Pass catching back. Uh, it looks like Kerwin Williams is just kind of out of the, of the rotation. Now he only had, I think, one or two carries last week. Andre Ellington had... What was it? Uh, five catches for 59 yards and also got uh, five carries for 22 yards. So if he's going to get five or six looks in the passing game, it's going to be pretty easy for him to pay off the salary at 3800 So he makes sense as a cheap running back play, and you could even use him with Carson Palmer and with Larry Fitzgerald as kind of a three-man staff just because most of his points are going to be coming through the air. So he makes sense as a cheap running back play. Uh, I don't have a ton of interest in the 49ers offense just because they're bad. They're just not good enough for me to consider anybody. Um, let's see. I just Before actually I say that definitively, I want to see what the price is on Pierre Garçon because he's been getting a lot of targets. So, okay, I'll take, I'll take that back. I'll say I don't have a lot of interest in the 49ers offense as a whole, but I think Pierre Garçon at 5,500 makes sense in a stack with the Cardinals. But outside of that, like I don't have any interest in any of those 49ers guys as standalone plays. So the next game on the slate is the New York Giants at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Giants were actually a winning stack last week. Eli Manning with Odell Beckham and Sterling Shepard, despite Eli Manning being awful. It doesn't always matter because Beckham made a couple of ridiculous touchdown catches. Sterling Sharp took a slant route 77 yards for a touchdown. So Eli Manning didn't do a lot by himself, but it didn't matter. It was enough for the Giants to put up fantasy points, even if they had another disappointing loss. So what is the what is the spread in total for this game, Matt? 
Well, the interesting part first is that I think this line came out late because there's a very low volume of bets for it. I'm not actually sure if that's true, but usually Giants games are amongst the highest bet games just in in terms of sheer dollar amount on either side. Uh, But having said that, the line opened at four, minus four for Tampa. It's now down to minus three. So the public likes the Giants. I think Sharp Money could like the Giants a little bit. The total's gone up from 43.5 to 44. But like I said before, I think because this line came out late, which I'm pretty sure is what happened, we're just not seeing a lot yet. But I think the Giants might be a little bit undervalued because they're 0-3. And even though they put up a lot of fantasy points last week, I think that they still might be a little undervalued because of their record. Yeah, I think like you can't use the Giants running game because they can't run the ball and it's also a timeshare. Odell Beckham always makes sense to me as a GPP play. He's just as good as any player in football and he doesn't need to have players around him to be good. The Giants have a shit offensive line. They have a shit quarterback. It doesn't matter. Odell Beckham's making ridiculous one-handed catches in the end zone on terrible passes that are getting tipped at the line. So Beckham to 8,900. He's my favorite wide receiver to pay up for if you want to go really expensive. I guess he makes a little bit of sense with Eli Manning just because Eli could not play well, but he could just throw a couple of screen passes to Beckham that Beckham just scores on his own. So Manning doesn't have to play well. He could just rely on Beckham. Just If you're going to use Eli Manning, Odell Beckham has to be in that lineup with him. Eli all the way down to 5700 so that's a reasonable price tag. Then on the Buccaneers side of the game, it just I'm not going to use them because the Giants still have – a really solid defense. They haven't been that good so far this year, but they've also been a little banged up. Janoris Jenkins hasn't been 100%. Him playing and locking down Mike Evans is going to make a big difference in this game, so I'm off the Buccaneers offense. Overall, I don't really think this is a great game to target. Uh, Jaquiz Rogers still cheap, but Giants still one of the best pass, uh, run defenses in football, so I'm just kind of off them as a whole. Not a lot of interest in this game. Next game on the slate, Eagles at Chargers. What is the spread and info for this one, Matt? The line is at minus one for the Chargers. Looks to be going up to minus one and a half. And it looks to be a little bit of sharp money. The The public likes the Eagles in this game. And the public also likes the over a lot. The total's gone up from 46 and a half to 47 and a half. So I think the popular pick based on the Vegas line movement is the Eagles offense, but I think that we both probably prefer the Chargers side of the game. I don't actually remember if we talked about that or not, so I'll just let you weigh in. Uh, We didn't talk about it, but here's one thing to keep an eye on. Uh, Darren Sproles somehow managed to break his wrist and tear his ACL on the same play last week. So he was the Eagles running back. That's obviously a really bad injury. He's out for the rest of the season. The Eagles haven't named a starting running back yet. But between LeGarrette Blount and Wendell Smallwood, I figure one of them is probably going to have decent value. It's just hard to know this early in the week without getting kind of like the beat reporter's take on who's getting snaps with the first team, what the roles are going to be. Wendell Smallwood does have a little bit more of a DFS-friendly game because he's a pass-catching back, whereas LeGarrette Blount is just kind of more of a between-the-tackles, run-up-and-down type guy, north-south. So I think either of them can be good value plays depending on which one of them ends up starting. Uh, from the Eagles' passing game, I think Alshon Jeffrey makes a, makes some sense. Zach Ertz has been really good this year, but with that said, he's at 6,300. Rob Gronkowski is 6,600. I would rather just pay up for Gronk the extra 300 than use Zach Ertz. So I'm off of Ertz for that reason. From the 
Chargers side of the game, Melvin Gordon is right now questionable to play. He had to sit out the end of last week's game. And if he's going to miss time, Brandon Oliver, 4,400, just becomes the easiest value play on the slate. Right now, it's looking questionable, but more leaning towards Gordon playing. But it's something to keep an eye on. If he's not able to play, that's probably going to lead to them throwing the ball more. So Phillip Rivers is going to be in play. Keenan Allen's going to be in play. Uh, let's see. Who who else? Probably. Um, I'm just trying to look up the price on Hunter Henry. Hunter Henry is at 3500 so he's going to be in play for me. Like, I agree. This is a strong spot for the Chargers offense. And then, I mean, just a great value spot on Brandon Oliver if Melvin Gordon isn't able to play. Yeah, it makes sense on Oliver. I guess one of the dilemmas with fantasy football for DFS is when there's such an obvious play like Brandon Oliver, and we're not sure that this is the case yet, but if Oliver is the obvious play with Gordon out, then what does his ownership need to be where it's not worth using him? Because the value there is insane, but if 99% of the players in the contests are using him, then you can you have a lot of upside to fade him. Obviously, it won't be 99%, but where do you see that threshold sort of where it could eclipse it, where you just wouldn't want to use him at all, where too many people are on him? Well, here's the thing. The, the, the prize pools for football are so big and there's so many people in them that Brandon Oliver is just never going to get to that level of ownership. Like, if there's, if there's a tournament with 600,000 entries in it, there's just never going to be somebody who's, like, 60-plus percent owned. I think that if uh, if Melvin Gordon was to be ruled out, it's probably likely that we'd see Brandon Oliver in the 25 to 30 percent range. And I would be fine with having Oliver in all of my lineups at 4,400 if Melvin Gordon gets ruled out because I just think there'd be such a ridiculous amount of value there. Like, Melvin Gordon himself is not somebody who I consider to be a great NFL player, but he just gets so much volume because that's how the Chargers' offense is run. So if he's out, all that volume is going to go to Brandon Oliver for this weekend. So, I mean, that, that he's just such a no-brainer. That's a free square type play if Melvin Gordon's out. Uh, that's just something we're going to have to monitor as the week goes on. So the last game on the slate, Oakland Raiders at Denver Broncos. What is, uh, what's the spread in total for this one, Matt? The line for this game opened at minus 2.5 for the Broncos at home. These teams are pretty even. The line's moved up to 3, though, so maybe there's a little bit of an implication that the Sharps like the Broncos a little bit or just the line was a little bit mispriced. I think the Raiders are generally pretty overrated just because of their record sort of exceeding their actual quality of play last season. But there's not much to look at here. The total opened at 47. It's remaining at 47. The line's moving a little towards Denver. The public is kind of split on this game in terms of both the spread and the total. So not much happening. Jury's here. So there's not a lot of value on either side. And then it's still two just solid defenses. The Denver Broncos obviously having a really good defense. The Raiders had a really good defense last year. They've regressed a little bit this year, but... I think still should be a good defense this year, at least above average. And then there's just so many weapons on the Broncos offense also. Like, I really liked C.J. Anderson last week, and that was just a massive disappointment because the Broncos were just behind for most of the game, and they just had to throw the ball a lot, which led to more playing time for Jamal Charles. And kind of in hindsight, this is something that the Broncos have always done. They've kind of always been more of a timeshare type team at running back, but then it was just almost all C.J. Anderson the first couple weeks of the season, so I thought that was how it was going to keep going for the rest of the year, and that obviously was not the case. He was in an even timeshare with Jamal Charles last week, and I'm a little afraid that could be the case going forward, so I'm off the Broncos' run game. In addition, 
CJ Anderson's price has not really gone down. He's still 5,600. So not really a lot of interest in me from either side of this game, just because fair pricing, no injuries, no value, decent defenses. I think I'm, I'm fine with staying away from this game. So that's it, right? We don't have a Sunday night game to talk about because that's no longer a thing. You, uh... yep, no longer a thing, at least for this week. Maybe it comes back next week if if the contest ended up being like half full, which isn't going to happen. I like to because that's what like with with people on uh, who work for DraftKings have been saying is like, hey, well, if if nobody plays the contest, then we'll go back to the old ways. Which I mean, that's a pretty easy answer because it's never going to happen because people <laughs> are going to play people are going to play football DFS no matter what. So. That is going to wrap up the podcast for this week. We'll be back with our final baseball episode tomorrow. You can follow me on Twitter at GAaronBergDFS, and Matt's Twitter handle is at PreachingSense.